Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Sarah Box here coming to you with another edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. This week, our guest is Melissa Agnes, who is the author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. So there are many things about the title of that book alone that I love, and we're going to dive into some of that. But some of the things to know about Melissa is she's a strategic advisor and keynote speaker, and she's worked with NATO, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Defense. She's worked with financial firms, tech companies, healthcare organizations, cities, municipalities, law enforcement agencies, and global nonprofits. So anybody you think about who needs help with brand invincibility, crisis and reputation management, and brand protection, Melissa serves those people globally. And one of the things that she did in 2015 is a TED Talk in LA where she actually discussed the secrets to successful crisis management in the 21st century. And before we hopped on and went live with this, we were talking a little bit about, in my experience when I work with organizations, especially young organizations or in the startup phase, grassroots phase, if you're a nonprofit, there is almost an aversion to thinking about how do we manage risk and crisis and plan in advance because everybody's in the isn't this great and excited phase. So we're going to have an opportunity to learn from Melissa some things we might not even think about when it comes to crisis management that really demystify it, make it practical, and make it part of our everyday relationships that we build with our clients and customers. So with that as a little bit of an introduction, Melissa, what would you like to add to that so our listeners know a little bit more about you? I think you did such a brilliant job. (laughs) I suppose in answering your question of what listeners I'd like for people to know, it's that it applies to everybody, every business, because every business is, we all face in our businesses certain scenarios that if they were to come, they would, they would threaten the brands that we work so hard to build. And that it's not just about, it's not about crisis management when it happens. My whole thing is about being crisis ready, which I've given a clear, precise definition to. And that is having an entire organization that understands, so every single person within that organization understands three things intrinsically. They understand what risk looks like, which means that if you can detect it in real time, you have the added advantage of getting ahead of it before it gets ahead of you. They understand how to assess its material impact on the organization. So is it an issue versus is it a crisis? Because in this day and age, issues can go viral, garner unwanted attention, and not escalate to crisis level and yet feel like a crisis, which means that you're in a vulnerable position that you may respond ineffectively as a knee-jerk reaction to that feeling of crisis. And then the third piece is that your entire team is able to, what they've identified, they've assessed, they can respond in a way that actually fosters increased trust and credibility in your brand, in the brand that you've worked so hard to build. And that's where that invincibility piece comes in. Because I say that we can't prevent every crisis. We can't prevent the preventable incidences. But when the unpreventable ones occur and 
come out of left field sometimes because that happens. How you, if, if you're in a position where every single member of your team can quickly identify it, quickly assess it to really understand what they're dealing with, and then respond in a way that actually fosters and builds increased trust and credibility and goodwill in your brand, then you have an invincible brand that can effectively weather anything that the, that the world may throw at you. And that is the power and the beauty and the passion that stems behind or that is everything that I do. And I suppose the reason that I'm so passionate about the work that I do. Well, that comes across in your voice that you're passionate about it. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, that's so cool. And I will tell you that I'm one of those people who, who is optimistic at the front end, but have had been in situations where on the back end, you're thinking, it would have been good. We had a plan, but we didn't communicate it. I mean, there there were missed opportunities to do exactly what you were talking about. But I have other questions for you that, because I think our listeners could benefit from understanding a little bit more about each of those things or how, when they're working with you or reading your book, how they would kind of get into those key areas you talked about, you know, so that they would be able to identify what it looks like versus just going into an immediate, oh my God, this is, this is terrible. We've got to do something. So are there, let me just back up a second and say with that as an intro to what I'm teeing you up to ask about, is there a difference that you can explain from me to me as a business owner or someone who's a business employee, what being crisis ready looks like, how would I experience my time in my business or my employer's business that I might say, yeah, we're crisis ready, even if those words never were used? What are some of the practices or things I would know? So I think that if, if it's never been a conscious thought, so what I talk about and what I do is I don't like the term crisis management plan. I don't like that, that term because it it currently still is status quo, but it depicts a picture, a reality where you kind of check off a box on your to-do list that says, we're going to have a crisis management plan. And you develop this plan. This plan is usually developed in a very siloed fashion, a certain department or some, you know, a a subset group of uh, senior executives are tasked with, or management team are tasked with creating this plan. And then it's created and it's filed away somewhere. And it gives this illusion that in the event of a crisis or a viral issue, it doesn't have to be catastrophic crisis, but it could be a viral issue, right? An issue that goes viral, garners unwanted attention, heat on your brand that doesn't necessarily escalate to crisis level, but is still very challenging to get ahead of and overcome. And it gives this illusion that you can just reach for that plan, open it up, and it'll guide you through to crisis management success. But the reality today is that by the time you reach for that plan, the story is already miles ahead of you. You're already playing catch up and your stakeholders, so the people who matter most to your business, they there's a threshold today that their expectations and demands in your organization, when something negative occurs, those that threshold begins far greater, far higher than it ever did before. And it starts at minute 0.1. So if you're busy reaching for that plan and trying to figure out what you're going to do versus, so to answer your question, how would you know that you have this if you've never put that, that thought process into it just consciously, is do you have... Well, let's do three things. Do you have, do you not have a plan? <laughs> do you have a plan that's sitting on a shelf somewhere? Or, 
And that's better than not having a plan, right? We're going to be very clear about that. Or the third is, do you feel confident that no matter what occurs, whether it's the most minute of issue straight through, through to the most complex of crisis, do you feel confident that every single member of your team, of your business, understands how to detect it, how to assess it, and how to respond in a way that meets expectations, both from leadership and externally, and that ultimately you would be able to kick into gear with your team in real time and proactively get ahead of an escalating situation in a way that actually builds the trust and credibility in your brand. If you can say yes, then you are crisis ready and I'm so proud of you. If you can say, eh, I'm not so sure about that, well, then there's there's um, a beautiful, easy framework process to start undertaking that will get you there. Can you give us a high level of of that framework? Of that process? Absolutely. Yep. So I refer to it as um, my crisis ready model. And it is the framework that I've developed over my years, throughout my years of working with. I've worked in almost every single industry to date. Not quite, but almost. And so that work has led to the framework that is the crisis ready model. So there's five phases. And really the book, Crisis Ready, takes you through that model. The first phase is the audit phase. So it's identifying, spending time looking at where do we currently sit on that spectrum of crisis readiness? So if we want to use the, the question that I asked, is your team entirely ready? Where, what, how, what is your level of readiness, right? And that's looking at not just asking the question of forward thinking, are we ready? But every business experiences issues on a regular occurrence. We all, business, business, business is about issue management in some ways, right? So issues strike on a daily, on a weekly, on a quarterly. And how, if you go back and you take a look at those issues and you actually see how are they responded to and not just mechanically or procedurally, but what's the lens through which our team experiences them, sees them and responds to them, reacts to them. And that will give you a good cultural understanding of how crisis ready you are, because being a big part of being crisis ready is is cultural, and it that means that it's lived and breathed every day, which means that it's the outlook that we actually take to view the lens through which we see a negative event. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yes, because that was perfect. Um, (laughs) Well, because I think that the piece when you start talking about the lens through which we view an event. Because the things we deal with in business, sometimes they're basically just annoyances, right? Yes. And, but from a customer or a consumer point of view, they are bigger to that they matter. person, right? Absolutely. They matter. So, and what comes to mind, as I was telling you before I fl- flew yesterday, but what comes to mind is like, I've never had an issue with Southwest that, that someone the person standing in front of me doesn't handle. They don't go, well, you have to call corporate. You have to do this. It's like, yeah, no, let's get that done. Or, I mean, it's like, I've never had a, someone say, I'm sorry, that's an, our policy is, and I have had that happen to me, being stuck in fog at a different airport with a different airline where they says, I'm, you'll just have to call this 800 number. I'm thinking, but you're in front of me. So, yeah. um, but that for me, what that did, so that's the reputation issue. Right. So that's a beautiful point, Sarah. So if we look at that, that was an issue. It wasn't a crisis, right? For that brand, Absolutely. it was not a crisis. For you, it probably wasn't even a crisis. It was an issue. It was a, annoyance. An, inconvenience, an annoyance, a grievance, because traveling is 
traveling. Annoying, yeah. And so when we're faced with an issue, and this is part of that mindset and part of that culture, when you're faced with an issue, no matter what it is, you have two possibilities ahead of you. You can mismanage the issue, and it won't necessarily escalate to a crisis. Absolutely. However, what it will do is every single mismanaged issue chips away at the trust and credibility of your brand over time. And that is accumulative. Or the second option ahead of you is you can manage it well and you can manage it in a way. I always say that if you could take away one thing, one thing and actually use it is when, when faced with a difficult situation, no matter its extremity and when faced with a difficult situation, if you always focus on how can I respond and react to this in a way that will strengthen the relationship with those or that person that is dealing with it, you know, that matters to my business. That question, that lens will always take you in the right direction. And what it does, every single well-managed issue that focuses on relationship and people above process and bottom line, which is one of my crisis ready rules, what it does is it, to my friend, uh, Captain Chris Chung from the Mountain View Police Department, he says it beautifully. He says, every well-managed issue makes deposits into your bank of stakeholder trust. And what that gives you from a strategic standpoint in terms of brand equity and crisis management is that when that catastrophic incident does happen or when that issue is going viral and everybody's talking about it and there's a lot of misconceptions and misinformation and emotion you, for example, with Southwest, I'm sure I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to guess is that if they experience something that your immediate reflexive answer within yourself would be, or response would be, I'm going to wait to hear from them because they've never done me wrong in the past. So I trust that they're going to come out with some kind of answer and then I can judge it from there. And that's exactly what just happened, right? With and, the whole change of the flights and the pla- planes yes. and saying we're taking flights offline. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. Because I was getting, I'm getting ready to get on a plane. I'm going, is that going to be one of my... It's like, impact. But you trust the brand to do what's right by you, yep. by the values that you share, which connects you with them in the first place. And the whole thing about being crisis ready is that this becomes the culture of the organization. And... And that's that that beautiful power that it's so gives. let's talk about that culture piece because I think sometimes that's so invisible to people that what fosters that culture, that willingness to look at issues or normal daily business as opportunities to strengthen relationship, how do you build that culture, Melissa, so that um, the team and everybody thinks that person's not being a pain, they're actually helping us refine our business because now we can streamline this or make that better or whatever. Where does that start in an organization and how have you helped organizations kind of rethink their lens? Absolutely, which is great. A great question because it's going to bring us back to the crisis ready model. So we talked about the audit phase, which gives you a benchmark as to where you are and where you want to go. To answer your question specifically, culture starts top down, bottom up. So it needs to be lived and breathed and just modeled by leadership, rewarded by leadership, as well as everybody within the organization needs to own their own role as leaders because we all are. We all have the potential and the capacity to be, no matter if you're in customer service, in sales, in marketing, in no matter where you are in that, govern, gov, um, that org chart. Mm-hmm. 
And so, and the model, what it does is it helps, it brings you to that capacity. So the whole goal of being crisis ready is not having a plan that sits on a shelf, but instead having a crisis ready culture. So the model was designed to help develop. So the other answer to your question is following the model. Okay. So you got us through audit. I didn't yeah. mean to take you off track, no, but it's no, very exciting. It's <laughs> it is. You. It's exciting. So the second phase is the education phase. And that is where you get to bring everybody to the same level of understanding because times have changed. And if it's a new organization, sometimes it's just, you just aren't aware of it. You don't have the experience in crisis management, which is a, a fortune. And other times in longstanding organizations, it's, there's a fallback to, well, 10 years ago, we faced something and here's how we responded. So we'll just do the same thing because it got us out of the mess. But today, what happened 10 years ago or how you responded 10 years ago is not going to be adequate. It's not going to suffice for today's world expectations, realities, challenges, obstacles, real time, everything. So that education piece enables you to really bring everybody up to that same point and start to get the necessary buy-in and support for the rest of the model for the rest of implementing the model because it needs, it's cross-organizational. It is not siloed. It is not the marketing team's responsibility to own crisis management or legal's responsibility to own crisis management. It is cross-organizational. So you really want that ownership and that understanding to start right from the beginning. And the education phase really focuses on that. The third is the identify phase. This is where you are identifying what I call your most likely high impact scenarios, so your high risk scenarios, the most likely high impact issues and crises that you are the most prone and vulnerable to or the most susceptible to. Every single business, whether you're a solopreneur or a mega world leader of an organization has high risk scenarios that they are susceptible to. And part of that is also defining issue versus crisis for your organization because a crisis for one entity does not necessarily translate into a crisis for another. So what does that look like? What does that mean for your brand? And the other piece of the identify phase is looking at your stakeholder groups. So if you identify, and I'm happy to share all of this, if you identify issue versus crisis, and then you say, what are the issues and crises that are most likely to occur to us with the most high impact? And then you also say, who are the people who matter to our business? So who? let's create a consolidated list of each of our stakeholder groups, our employees, our, our members, our board of directors, our investors, our vendors, our customers, and our clients, and the media, and the general public, and our regulatory agents or agencies, or law enforcement, whatever, however it applies to your business and to your industry. You, take a you make a list of each one of those high stakeholder groups, you can then say, you then have so much of the information that you need to be crisis ready by saying, in the event of scenario number one, what would our, what would our employees expect of us? What would matter to them? And how can we be in a position to give them what matters to them and to prove to them, again, that strengthen that relationship, to prove to them that we care, we're doing the right thing and speak their language and resonate with them, all of these things. Scenario number one, what will cut with same questions apply to customers, same questions apply to investors, same questions apply to vendors and the board of directors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the identify phase is really understanding, collecting the data. This is how I see it. I say that because this is the way that my brain works is I see all of these. It just makes sense to me. So the way that I say it is I say picture going into the middle of a forest 
on a hurricane day with a jigsaw puzzle, brand new box jigsaw puzzle of 2,500 pieces. So the little tiny, tiny little pieces. And you just open that box up and you throw it into the wind. And it just scatters everywhere. All of those pieces, when you bring it together, that jigsaw puzzle, when it's formed, is your crisis ready program. All of those pieces exist within your organization already. It's about going to find them, accumulating them. And the identify phase is you picking up all of those pieces and gathering all of that data, that information. The fourth phase is the design phase. And that's when you design your program. So now you have all of those pieces and now you're putting them together. You're creating a governance structure. You're creating processes for escalation. You're really defining issue versus crisis for your organization. You're putting processes in place that enable you to respond in effectively in real time in a way that meets, if not exceeds expectations, you're putting all of that together. That's your design phase. You're designing your program. And then the fifth phase is the implement phase. So you're taking that program and now you are embedding it into the culture of your organization. And that is through education. That is through trainings. That is through crisis simulations where you can, I always say that You never want to experience a crisis, but in a crisis, you hope to have experience. Simulations use technology to really put the team through a simulated crisis that feels so, so, so real, and yet it's not. It's in a safe and controlled environment, so it gives the team the flexibility to start to hone and cultivate those skill sets that will apply to everything from the little issues straight through to the catastrophic crisis. So very, I just give you so much and feel free to get me to dive into any pieces, but that is the model and that is the framework of taking an organization into becoming crisis ready. Well, it makes perfect sense. And when you talk about like the actual simulation work and and practicing, you know, when you're in a crisis, whether it's a, a really imminent harm crisis or just a really stressful situation, our logical brain does not go on auto response, right? We're just like, we want to get it handled. We start reacting versus being, okay, this is how we do this here, right? Yep. Be- because we just kick in our adrenaline, our normal safety. It's emotional. Kick in. Absolutely. It's emotional. Or someone's yelling at you, right? Why did my luggage, whatever. And if you are able to think, to your point, what can I do here to strengthen this relationship or not let it deteriorate any further? That's a whole different way to engage with somebody. Yes. So I do have a couple of questions just because I know some of my listeners are like the in the weeds people. Yep. Um, And I will recommend to them they get your book. But I will also say that when you're in that design and discover phase, right, you're doing your assessment on that and you talk about the, all the different stakeholders. Do you engage them and saying what matters, given your relationship with our brand or whatever, employees, board, whatever, what are the things that you need from us as a company or organization so that you feel taken care of, I guess is the best language I have off the top of my head. Yep. If you can do that, if you have the relationships to do that, absolutely. And what's so important in this identify phase is not going into it with any don't even bring in um, hypotheses. Just go in with no matter, even if you've been in this organization for 17 years and you know the ins and the outs of the business and you know the people and you will learn something if your mind is open. And 
so going into it, so it's about speaking to team members. It's about, yes, sometimes speaking to the different stakeholder groups. What you want to balance is not to concern them, right? Not to in, in elicit fear or concern, but do it in a way, to your point, is how can we serve you? How can we? But the answers to fall back to. So one of the reasons that I have the luxury, I suppose, of working in almost every single industry is because business is about people. Business is about, successful business is about relationships. It's about people. Crisis management is about maintaining the relationships with those same people and doing right by those same people, right? It's about relationships. So, and that is a common denominator across every single business around the world is human beings. And so when we look at it from that lens, we can say, what matter in an emotional situation, an emotionally charged situation, how do we need to communicate in a way? Because one of the crisis ready rules is you will never trump emotion with logic ever, ever. And yet that's something that we see leaders do all the time because they're in an emotional state and they see the truth, they see the logic and they hammer out the logic. They have, say, don't feel this way. This is the truth. But nobody's going to listen to that when they're highly emotional in for whatever reason, when something is really, really deeply emotionally impactful. And so there are ways to, there's crisis ready formulas for doing that. So for example, when in a highly emotionally charged situation, how do you communicate in a way that resonates and enables you to deescalate the situation is you take your logic and you wrap it in. There's three steps. First, you validate. And when you think about it from that human factor, what do we want? When we're upset about something as human beings, what do we need? At first and foremost, we want to feel heard and validated, yep. right? So that's the first step is validating emotion in a way that doesn't just say, I hear you and I validate you, but actually shows that, demonstrates that, showcases it. The second step is then to relate to them on that emotion. So saying, for example, just off the top of my head, we understand how you're feeling because X, Y, Z, but we want you, and we want you to know that that, what you care about has always been what we cared about, what we care about. And that is our, what is guiding us right now. So you're validating and you're also relating to on that emotional level. And then they say, okay, I feel heard. I feel validated. I understand that they care about what matters to me open my ears up now and listen to how they're going to prove that to me. And that's when you come in with the proof. So there's things that you can do. So all of this was, you know, how do you accumulate that information? You accumulate it by asking the right questions, by going into those questions and those interviews with an open mind, a blank slate in your mind, just to learn new things and understand on an emotional level uh, more intrinsically what, what it is, what you're looking to understand. And also by understanding human nature. Which makes everything kind of gel. Yes, absolutely. It's that whole emotional intelligence, emotional EQ piece as well, not having to feel defensive. If there's an issue, there's an issue, right? And, it's like- and that can be really, really challenging, which means that we have the luxury before it happens to think logically with it and not let our own emotions cloud our judgment. And we have the opportunity to to say, okay, what are the challenging factors in a given situation and how would we react and respond to that and feel confident in that because when it happens, standing up and saying we were wrong is a difficult thing to do for anybody. So put your team in the best, give them the, the most 
the luxury of that thought and that contemplation and the luxury of time that you have now to really have those discussions and and collectively as a group, as a team, decide what is in the best interest of the brand and how would we go about doing that and gain that support from one another so that when you're faced with a difficult situation, you're standing up together. Well, that also, when you have those conversations, Melissa, it one of the things I think you would be also doing, so I'm envisioning that you're having this team conversation because whoever is your team is your essential stakeholder, but trusting and building that shared trust that regardless of who's who's up next or who's on deck when something happens, you know that they're handling it in a way that you've all seen and decided on together can also reduce stress, right? 100%. Yeah, because who wants to hear, I don't know, I can't tell you anything until the chief information officer says it's okay. And you're thinking, so now what are you hiding? Right. It's versus saying, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, to be able to at least do what you were saying, the hearing and validating piece without being condescending or blowing someone off, but to really know who your people are, your stakeholder people are. Yep. And understanding why, why is my favorite word. I ask why until there's no more why to be known, to be answered. And why does it matter to them? Why did, why does not commenting or not providing the answers to their questions? Why does that matter? And what's, what is the impression that that gives to your point? It's what are you hiding? And we can't trust you, right? And then they're going to go to third parties to try to find that information. And guess what? Those third parties, that's not your narrative. You have no control over that. What you have control over is your own reactions and your what comes out of your brand. So absolutely, build up, foster that trust internally, develop those processes and have those strategic conversations ahead of time, and then be a united front in understanding what's expected of you and how to get ahead of that to foster that increased trust and credibility in your brand over throughout the escalation or throughout the management of the incident. So in those those folks who you have those relationships with become your kind of key champions, if you will. So even if you couldn't respond, my and I've had this happen where people say, you know, you just don't know those people. I do. Right. And so they're speaking what on behalf. What a the beautiful app. gift that is. But that's yeah. an earned gift. It is. That an does not gift. come from not doing the work ahead of time. No, no, you can't. It's not like a in the moment, like, okay, can you be nice to me now? It's like, no, you haven't given me any reason to trust you or Absolutely. support you as a brand. So that's why I like how you think about this whole thing in your um, approach with your five steps and that it's really about brand invincibility and relationships, really. Yes. So I'm going to share with our audience that one of the things that I asked you to tell me in a, in a form, so for folks who don't know, we do a little bit of info gathering on the front end before we talk to folks. But one of the questions I asked Melissa is, what would people be surprised to know about her? Because as you can imagine, with brand invincibility and all of her thinking around things, when you look at her website and her social media, there's a lot of great information about Melissa out there. So I'm thinking, what would people be surprised? And all it said on her response to me was, <laughs> I asked other people I'd be willing to share if you're interested. I'm thinking, well, of course I'm interested. So if you would do two things, share some of what people brought back to you, but also tell me what doing that exercise did for or to you. Because I thought it was kind of brave. Well, so, so for listeners, I, what I did was I'm really, really 
not great at talking about myself. Um, and I'm sure that many listeners can relate to that. So if you ask me to talk about myself, I have a spiel, you know, this is what I do and whatever. But if you ask me what people think is different or unique or be surprised about you, it's like, one, I would feel like I'm bragging, right, in some sense. And then the other is I have no idea what's interesting to other people because I'm not them. (laughs) So I did. I put it out to Instagram. I did one of those in my stories. I said, you know, I said exactly. I'm going to be going to be on this podcast. Here's a question I need to answer. Can you guys help me out? So some of the answers that I got and some of them are just really funny. So one of them, how dedicated you are to students. So that was just wonderful to hear that people see that and, and think that what a free spirit you are. That I thought was really funny. How tall you are. That's I'm 5'10". So, and I get that often is people are like, you're not as tall as your pictures or no, you're taller than your pictures. I'm like, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but yeah. Um, how you spend time fishing in a remote hunting cabin without internet phone service and electricity every year. And I, I fish my own fish. I got my own fish. I cook my own fish. And there's like, there's no shower. It's awesome. Um, my friend, so speaking of Captain Chris Young from Mountain View Police Department, he wrote, um, fluent in French, fluent French speaking dancing pilot. And I thought that that was fun because I'm dabbling in aviation now. And last summer I took ballroom dance courses and on my second course, I decided to enter the showcase with this, these world renowned judges, which was ridiculous. And I'm from Montreal. So I speak, I'm fluent in French that you snort when you laugh really hard. I just wrote back, Shh, you're not supposed to tell people that. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's kind of like a mumbo jumbo of different responses that I got that were just fun. It's fun to see yourself through the lens of other people because all I have is my own lens and what you think is normal, other people don't, right? Just because it's normal to you doesn't mean it's normal to them. So yeah, so that was a fun exercise that you inspired. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. But I also like that you were able to put it back in there, like how you see people see you through a different lens and we forget that. You know, so when someone's acting like a crazy person in front of us, in our opinion, it's helpful to just go, I wonder what's really happening to that person, right? And, or did someone invade their quiet time in the cabin and bring internet up there and wreck it? (laughs) And just wreck their entire vacation. Just wreck it. I'm telling (laughs) you, because honestly, that would kind of wreck it for me. So I want to let um, our listeners know if you would talk a little bit more about it, but you do have your own podcast where you actually share more information and go over a lot of these topics, but also some different things in order to help people be ready and advance their work. So talk a little bit about the inspiration for your podcast and what you hope to accomplish through that. My mission, so my mission period right now is I really believe that, and I see it in the work that I do, if every organization in this world were crisis ready to the definition that of how I define crisis ready, to the crisis ready rules of putting people above process and bottom line, to all of these beautiful, beautiful things that are encompassed within under the umbrella of crisis readiness, um, I believe that if every organization were crisis ready, that we would live in a kinder, safer, and more balanced world. And so then the question becomes, okay, if that's what you want to do, if you want to help as many organizations as you possibly can for that purpose, and you don't want to have an agency, because I don't, how do I do that? And that translates into a whole bunch of different things. For example, my book is being adopted into course curriculum in undergrad, grad, and MBA programs around the world. So 
students are the future of business. So there's that. I'm I'm launching a licensing and certification program later this year for practitioners who can amp up their game and and do so much wonderful things, so many wonderful things. The podcast, the podcast is one of my forms of content, right? So the podcast, the videos, the blogs, the the book, um, it's all with that aim of what are the different dynamic pieces of becoming crisis ready, implementing that crisis ready culture, and how can I share that with you? And how can I really, really make that tangible and practical and implementable for you? And the podcast is a, an avenue for doing that. And what I love about the podcast is I recently rebranded it to the Invincible Brand Podcast, whereas before it was the Crisis Intelligence Podcast. And being under the umbrella of the Invincible Brand Podcast enabled me to really open up the scope. And so, yes, we talk about crisis. And I, for example, I interviewed the brand manager at Chipotle through their crisis and just so many different in the heat, what did you learn and what can other, how can other people apply this? But also... I had Drew Tarvin on, who is a humor engineer, and his purpose is, he's a comedian, but he's a consultant and a speaker, and his purpose is to help organizations bring humor into the workplace so that employees can go home less stressed and be more present with their families. And what a beautiful thing that is. And how much, like, how beautifully does that align with the concept of invincible brand and crisis ready culture and putting people above process and bottom line. And so I spent an hour talking with Drew and how can you do that within your organization? What does that look like? And so, so yeah, all of that to say that the podcast is a really fun um, avenue for me to kind of expand the horizon of, to me, what it means, all of the many pieces, all of those puzzle pieces of becoming crisis ready and building out that culture um, gets to be had with experts in these really cool niche um, areas of expertise that together all encapsulates that. I love how your philosophy and your putting people above process and the bottom line and you're able to pull people in who actually share that, um, which ultimately actually does boost the bottom line. And but simplify processes. Absolutely. But, abso- but see, that's just it. So crisis management, it, looking through that lens or issue management, if you put people first, put people above process and bottom line. So my point earlier is if you always focus on how can you strengthen that relationship, process and bottom line will follow. If you put process and bottom line first, everything is turned upside down and nothing works out the way that you would have wanted to with that in mind. So ah, it's just... It's the right thing to do, and it is the most rewarding thing to do on every level. So I think that's what we wrap the podcast with, Melissa, because I love that message. It is so affirming, and it opens up the world if we just put people in relationships first and do what's right. Um, The rest, Yeah, the rest will follow. So I don't think you could have left us with any better words of wisdom. So anything else you want to say? No, just thank you for this great discussion and for the opportunity to share this important message. Well, thank you. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, 
no limits, no excuses life.